the America's Jobs Team Podcast for economic developers by economic developers. Join the Consultant Connect team every Thursday for discussions surrounding the latest in our industry. Learn from fellow economic development heroes, get leadership advice, keep on top of industry trends and shifts, and so much more. You are a part of America's Jobs Team. And we're so glad that you're tuning in. All right. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the America's Jobs Team. I'm Carla Sones, and I'm really excited about today's podcast. We have an excellent opportunity to get to meet the CEO of Greater MSP, um, Minneapolis-St. Paul region. And Peter Frosch is with us, and we are delighted that you're here. Peter, thank you for taking time out of your schedule, which I know is crazy busy to join our podcast and share some of your insights with our listening audience. I'm happy to be on America's Jobs Team. Awesome. Well, we are going to dive right in because I have a feeling we try to keep our podcast to a normal like drive time commute, um, at least a Michigan drive time commute, which, you know, is like 20 to 25 minutes for most of us. And I have a feeling that um, you and I could go long because we have a lot of things to cover. So I'm going to dive right in. But I want to start with how you got into economic development. So you're leading a what many think is one of the most nationally recognizable, just chock full of best practices, great staff, great history at Greater MSP. So how did you become the CEO of Greater MSP? Kind of walk us through your past. Sure. Well, I guess I'd I'd want to say that I I dreamed about it in elementary school, but that as it is for most economic developers, it was kind of something that I worked myself into rather than saw coming. Um, I've done a number of different things in my career, and you know, I banking, um, graduate work in international relations, environmental policy. I was legislative director in Washington in Congress for a number of years. Uh, but I guess I'm old enough now to actually have to have a story for how this stuff fits together. And I think the thread is that something I love doing is building kind of unlikely coalitions to tackle really hard problems that demand really creative solutions. And as I look back um, in each of those instances, that's what I did there. And I feel like that's what I'm doing every day at Greater Miss P. And I, I get a lot of energy from that. I love the creative aspect of the work, uh, and I guess I'm kind of a builder by nature. I love that. And speaking of building, I feel like your team is who a lot of economic development organizations kind of go to for inspiration on how you kind of build things out. So before we went live on this podcast, I was saying I really love how your metrics are laid out on your website, but you also had a relatively... Um, recent and cool tool to kind of track like the ARPA investments in your region and kind of show visibility around some of those decisions. And I'm curious, like how these tools that create that transparency and that visibility are really helping your organization tell a better story um, and what some of the local feedback has been to having that information up and so visible to all. Sure. Um, so I think something I've learned in this work is that data can't be the end. But if you're going to try to do something hard involving a lot of different entities and you have a big ambition, it needs to be the start. And so the story about this um, ARPA tracker that we recently released kind of goes back to the spring of 2021 when the president signed the bill and I started getting calls from mayors and commissioners across our region saying, 
wow, this is this is a big deal. What is Greater Mesquite going to do about this? And I kind of remember my offhand reaction was, well, what are we going to do? You're the one getting the money. <laughs> <Right>? So, <laughs> And it's important to know one of the reasons that we ended up moving forward with something related to ARP in this region is that there are 31 different counties and cities in this region that receive direct allocations. And so that's just kind of the nature of mm -hmm. how we're geographically put together. So it's not like there was one big city allocation and one big county allocation. Uh, there were going to be dozens of people trying to solve the same problems. And it was going to be very difficult to get a sense of, are we making the most of this because of that kind of uh, diffusion? And so we intentionally worked with all those counties and city, city leaders to say, well, what, what's the aim here? What's our collective aim? And everybody said, kind of at a gut level, what we want to do is maximize our opportunity with these Arbor funds. We just want to make the most of this. And so as we built a virtual federal funding hub with those county and city leaders that involved many different elements, um, we kind of came across the opportunity to build a tracker. We said, you know, we have a line of sight actually building like a digital tool where anybody could see where counties and cities were allocating those dollars. And if we use the same categories, you could actually add it up. And that was key because while it's useful to know what Minneapolis is doing or Bloomington or Edina, you can't get the full picture unless you can aggregate it. Mm -hmm. And so that tool has allowed us to have a couple really important early realizations. For instance, we can see that our region in total is planning to spend more than three times the national average on housing and in housing investment. Yeah. And, you know, one, that's really good to know. I mean, mm -hmm. other, without the track, we would not actually have that information. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also helpfully some, exactly what we need to be doing. So it's strategically aligned. Um, and so that's a case where we're coming behind those counties and cities and encouraging those investments and saying, can we actually get even more going there? Yeah, that is so awesome. And when you were, when you kind of started talking about that, you used the word ambition. And I want to talk about that for a second, because one of the other things that I'm kind of like fangirl about Greater MSP is your ambition and three-year goal page on your website, because you really walk through some pretty huge ambitious goals and give opportunity on there for people to kind of write different things. And you talk through like why that ambition is important and kind of what the goal is and, and give some data um, I'm just curious, like when you launched that ambition piece and how that um, has kind of been impacting your strategic decision making with so many different coalitions and some pretty, you know, big goals. Yeah. Um, well, I'm glad that you saw that. That's something we we started um, right before the pandemic. And it it has proven important because if you take a step back, I mean, activity isn't the standard. And what we're trying to do is actually deliver progress. We are trying to make impact. We are trying to make this economy more globally competitive and we're trying to drive mm -hmm. economic growth. But to do that, there's no one thing that you're going to do. It's going to take hundreds of different interventions, you know, by hundreds of different entities or partnerships. So having some shared view of the things that are most important to a region overall and having a calibration of that ambition, like about how high are we aiming? we found gives people a sense of how much needs to be done. And that's helped challenge not only Greater MSP, but I think others in the region to say, well, sure, we need to do something in that space, but we actually need to do quite a bit more than we've ever done. 
And so it's not just about focus. You know, it's like, yes, direction's important, but, you know, the kind of trajectory is also important. Mm -hmm. Because if we're not aiming high enough, we'll never get where we need to go. Yeah. And I think it takes a lot of courage to aim really high, but it also creates that momentum and inspiration. It's sometimes like you need to dream big in order to get people like moving in the same direction. So I think that's really smart. It can be scary to do for a lot of people. So I commend your group for being courageous enough to put like big goals out there, big ambitions and, and get people moving behind them. That's really cool. It probably should concern me more that I'm not that concerned about failing, <laughs> but I, I, I'm much more concerned about not trying, yes. <laughs> so, you know, or not putting as much behind something as is required to actually drive the change we're seeking. Yeah. But I think that that is, I mean, that's to me, you know, I'm speaking about myself here, but to me, I feel like that's like a really good quality of a good leader is that willingness to go first, dream big, kind of put yourself to a certain extent at risk because you mm-hmm. may not hit every goal, but to not do anything is really, you know, kind of a, a failure, but to make movement is progress. So I, I am inspired by that. Um, when you think about your region and how you've just kind of embraced these last couple of years, I mean, We all across the globe have been through a pandemic. We've all had social and economic challenges. But when you think about the greater MSP region, you all really had a lot going on in the midst of the same time frame as the rest of the world. When you think about that region, like what stands out is like, you know, what makes you proud about the work that you've been able to accomplish in these last few years? Yeah. So, you know, the murder of George Floyd in our region you know, which everybody saw has catalyzed a shift here from kind of incremental to transformational change on racial. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, connecting with the conversation we just had, I mean, this is kind of like, it's about ambition. It's about defining what you're actually trying to do. So rather than asking the question last couple of years, what do we think we can do? Mm -hmm. We started saying, what do we believe we have to do? Mm -hmm. And the answers to those questions are really different. And so on racial equity, I guess I'm, I'm proud that we have become very serious about being a, a genuinely racially equitable economy. And part of what being serious is about is recognizing that this isn't a phase and it's not an initiative and it's not side of the desk and it's not charitable. You know, this is going to be the work of a generation but it's, it's immediate and it takes everybody. And by doing it well, we will be so much better than we've ever been before. Um, but it's the action that's defining the change. So there are a handful of things kind of in nature and at a scale that just have never happened here before that are all happening at the same time. So there are two $50 million funds that are being raised focused on BIPOC entrepreneurs, you know, right now in this region. So hundred million, we're raising hundred million dollars simultaneously, um, which nationally speaking is fairly significant. It's built and now we're, we're helping to focus a really proven uh, corporate procurement effort we have here called Business Bridge on uh, purchasing $500 million a year more from diverse small and medium-sized businesses in this state. We have worked together in a really huge coalition, kind of unique coalition called Groundbreak, 
where we're going to raise $2 billion to invest in four community development objectives. So we're going to um, create or retain 23,500 more affordable housing units. We're going to create 45,000 more BIPOC homeowners, 11,000 uh, more BIPOC small business owners, and 30 community-supported commercial developments um, in our region over the next 10 years. And the core insight there was just, it's, it's not that it's something we didn't know, it's just something that no one had been willing to do, which mm -hmm. is we have to fund these community development priorities if we're going to get the results we need. And we need economic development money behind these community development priorities. So yeah. these are examples of the kind of scale and breadth of things that are underway. Yeah. And I really, when I was on your website and kind of looking at that, just even specific to the racial inclusion, like what you said really resonated and it was really cool how it broke down in that particular ambition. And it just called out like, Hey, we might be a diverse community, but we still have a equity gap in like our earnings and our wealth. And I just, I love the boldness that you all have of like, just, you know, saying like, here's where, what we are and here's what we're working to be. And I think that's really cool. Um, shifting gears a little bit, when you think about our industry of economic development, and you've been going hard in the paint, I know, since you <laughs> stepped into the CEO I like role, that. I like, like that. You were thrown right in there. Um, when you think about, like, it's just kind of a, one of those industries that it, there is pressure. There's a lot of external voices and, you know, ideas, and you're working with a lot of partners how do you manage your energy and how do you kind of toe that line between like, you know, like I'm, I'm running my race and like, you know, want to go fast and go hard and with passion, give it all that I have. Cause I know that that's, I can tell just in this short podcast that you're like, I want to leave a legacy. Like I want to make impact um, and not burn out. Like, how are you kind of managing your day to day so that you have that type of energy and passion to bring to your work and your team? Yeah. Well, I appreciate the question. Nice moment of personal reflection. Um, <laughs> I think it's kind of two steps. One, I mean, I think something I've, you know, I guess learned over the course of my career so far is um, to be happy in work, which is so much part of life, you have to like the problems you're solving, right? I mean, mm -hmm. all of us are paid to solve problems, essentially. And if you don't like the problems you're facing, you're just not going to be happy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, um, part of what I, I get energy from the kind of work that we're doing. I think it's interesting. I think it matters. You know, it demands creativity. So that's that's one. I mean, the work itself actually gives me energy. But on days when that's not quite enough, um, especially now that we've kind of come out of the quietest moments of the pandemic and we're seeing people again, I mean, I get energy from being with people. So mm -hmm. you know, being out to connect with partners or colleagues, you know, especially one-on-one -on -one, and have that kind of personal element being part of this. I, I kind of forgot what that was like for a while. And it's really nice to have it back. Yeah, it's it's really kind of a treasure when you get a chance to like really just kind of hear a different perspective and be able to share. It almost like helps you. For me, I, I get a lot of energy from that too. And it sparks creativity mm -hmm. for me to have those conversations. So I think that's cool. All right. Well, here's the final and I think the hardest question, but I'm going to hit it with you. I'm going to hit you with this question. Okay. What do you want to be remembered for? Like when your time is up, <laughs> what do you want your legacy to be? 
Oh, I mean, got to take a big sip of coffee, I think, uh, for that one, right? I uh, know, it's a heavy question, but I'm just curious. You, you've done a lot already. Like, what the is The end your... of my days. Um, well, this is funny. I don't spend a lot of time thinking about that, but uh, I guess if forced to reckon with that, I would say something about, um, I hope that I would be seen as someone who recognized the most important kind of challenges and opportunities of my moment and that I had enough courage to run at them with everything I have. I think something I learned in Congress was so much of making change has to do with timing and it's complex. And sometimes, frankly, success or the things that you want to see are actually a little bit out of your control. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, it's it's maybe just a kind of a humbling realization. But so what you can do is you can aim at the right stuff and try as hard as you can. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think that that is, that. yeah, I think that that is really a really great answer for one and just really good insight for our economic development friends, because I think in economic development right now, you hear so many people who are really facing with burnout, like they, and mm-hmm. they'll, they'll say it like it's, it's been a hard few years. And I think that that reminder of, you know, it's, it is a lot of work and there's a lot of pressure, but we're, you're moving the needle and sometimes things don't get done in the timeline that you want. And it may not even happen while you're in, you know, in the position that you're in, but sometimes that groundwork that you lay when the timing is right, it comes back to life. And so I think that's really important. And I can tell just by talking to you that you are courageous and that you're throwing everything into it. So thank you for taking time to step away from what I know your passion is to pour into the economic developers all across the United States and Canada on our podcast. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for sticking with us till the very end. This podcast is sponsored by Research on Investment, Lead Generation for Economic Development, and Gazelle AI. Spend more time closing, less time chasing. Did you like what you heard today? Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The America's Jobs Team podcast is audio engineered by Andrea Fuller and produced by Faye Davis.